Unboxing the Canon takes a closer look at the history of Western art. We might be seduced by the pretty packaging, such as soft brush strokes, brilliant colors, grand gestures, expert carving, even traditional iconography. But what happens when we take a deeper look? When we open the packaging and see what might have been invisible, or what is a cultural blind spot? Join Professor Linda Steer and listen in for a take on art history that connects the past to the present, critiques the canon, and reveals what might not be immediately apparent in Western art and its institutions. Welcome back. You might remember that in the last episode, we thought about shifting the gaze a painting that contemporary African-American artist Titus Kafar created live during a TED Talk in 2017. Kafar based his provocative work on family in a landscape painted by Dutch artist Franz Hals around 1645. In this episode of Unboxing the Canon, called Reversing the Gaze, we turn towards two paintings by contemporary Cree artist Kent Monkman. Like shifting the gaze, these paintings also refer to earlier paintings from the Western art historical canon, and they also aim to shift the gaze. Here, Monkman aims to, quote, reverse the gaze, end quote, those are his words, from white settlers looking at indigenous people to indigenous people looking at settlers. Are you ready to talk about art? Let's dive in. Let's think about the diptych, Mysticosawak, translated to English as wooden boat people. First, some details. These two paintings by Monkman were commissioned by the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. One is titled Welcoming the Newcomers and the other is Resurgence of the People. Both are acrylic paintings completed in 2019. Each is 132 by 264 inches, or 335.28 by 670.6 centimeters, which is a whopping 11 by 22 feet, or about 3.5 by 6.5 meters. Huge! These are monumental paintings. So imagine yourself standing in front of these monumental paintings in the Great Hall in the Met Museum, which is the large entrance space in this neoclassical building for art that was opened in 1902. You are standing on a mosaic floor and overhead there are three domes. Perhaps you feel a little bit small here. The voices of others bounce off the limestone and echo throughout the space. Welcoming the newcomers is on your left. There are many figures in this painting that is both a landscape and a seascape. Some are on the land that juts out diagonally from the left of the painting. Others are in the water in the foreground, hanging onto the rock. Most of the figures on the land are indigenous. Some of these figures interact with those in the water, others do not. Many are engaged in mini-narratives that do not connect to other figures. Most of the figures in the water are white, except for a couple of people of color, including a black man in chains. On the right side of the painting, a group of soaking wet men cling to an overturned wooden boat as a shark circles. 
One of them has been pierced by an arrow. It's quite the chaotic scene. The water is rough and threatening. The sky is dramatic. Black clouds hang overhead, and the horizon is fiery orange. We catch a glimpse of blue here and there, but the sky is mostly dark. Rays of light emanate from below the clouds, highlighting a few of the figures in the scene. The light illuminates the back of a figure who bends forward and extends her hands towards the two figures in the water, grasping the hand of the man in chains and reaching towards another who Ruth B. Phillips and Mark Salber Phillips have identified as an Ottoman mercenary using history painting. This indigenous figure, the one set apart from the others and highlighted by sunlight, wears a red silk ribbon or piece of cloth wrapped around her body, beaded rainbow earrings, and Christian Laboutin heels, her long hair blowing in the wind. The light signifies this figure's importance. This is a self-portrait of the artist as an archetypal figure, Monkman's alter ego, Miss Chief Eagle Testicle. Say it quickly, and it becomes mischief egotistical, a play on words that makes me think of French artist Marcel Duchamp. Mischief is a gender-fluid two-spirit figure who appears in many of Monkman's paintings. As writer Shirley Medill points out, the figure of Mischief, quote, embodies the mythological trickster who exhibits a great degree of intellect and knowledge when she is present in a work of art. Monkman uses her to help guide viewers to see new truths, end quote. Mischief looks directly at the viewer, at me, at us, at anyone seeing this painting. What do you think she wants? Her expression is serious, almost resigned. We can see that she has been crying by the mascara that is smeared on her face. What is she trying to say? What truths does mischief show us? In an artist's video about the work, Monkman describes his love for the visual language of painting. But when looking at paintings of indigenous people made by settlers, he says that, quote, it's always this romantic view of the vanishing race. In fact, we're very much alive. My work really is refuting those themes of disappearance. End quote. Miss Chief's look is a way to reverse the gaze, an attempt to take over the institutional space that holds many of the works of art that depict Indigenous people as disappearing. Monkman's painting is intended as revised version of history. Rather than showing conquest, it highlights the generosity of indigenous people towards settlers. And that gives us a more nuanced view of history. That nuanced history challenges some of the false or overemphasized narratives written and painted by Europeans and settlers. Some of the figures in this painting are portraits, and many poses are taken from paintings that reside in the Met Museum. For example, as Phillips and Phillips note, the group of figures in the center of the rock, the new parents with the baby, are based on French painter Eugène Delacroix's The Natchez, created in the early 19th century. 
Met curator Randall Griffey writes that the appropriation of Delacroix's painting is an example of Monkman's, quote, subversion of multiple artistic representations of the European conceit of the so-called vanishing race. Hmm. Perhaps mischief looks at us to challenge our stereotypes. Instead of the downtrodden, sickly family in Delacroix's European painting, Monkman presents us with parents who are healthy and happy. Numerous figures in both paintings are drawn from the history of Western painting that pictures indigenous people as a relic of the past. These representations are directly connected to colonization. To see indigenous people as a dying or vanishing group opened up the land for takeover. It legitimized genocide against indigenous people. Monkman's painting is complex, but one of the messages is this. We are still here. We did not vanish. Monkman not only depicts indigenous life on Turtle Island or North America as outsiders arrived, but also shows us some of the settlers. This is a history painting, and it depicts historical figures, both individuals and groups. One of those is related to my family history. In the center foreground, there is a thin, unclothed, red-headed white woman in the water, leaning up against the rock with her arms over her head. This figure, as Phillips and Phillips identify her, is a fille du roi, a daughter, in quotation marks, of King Louis XIV, one of the hundreds of young women sent to Europe by France in the 1660s and 1670s to populate the New World. Many of the filles du roi were orphans or impoverished young women with nowhere to go. This figure is complex. On the one hand, she likely had little agency. Her role was simply to bear children. On the other hand, populating the land with white people was one of the ways that France and other countries sought to occupy the land. We can see this tension in the way Monkman painted this figure. She's naked. She's vulnerable, and her value is in her body. She's being pulled out of the water by a male figure, another Monkman self-portrait, who interacts with an indigenous woman on the rock. He lifts the woman out of the water with his pinky finger on his left hand by pulling on the rosary that is wrapped around her wrist. So is she bound by Catholicism or saved by it? And while the male figure looks away, religion creeps onto the land. We know the devastating history of Christianity in Canada and the damage that religion has done to First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples. This figure is personal for me because my earliest Canadian ancestor on my mother's side was a fille du roi from Paris. Her name was Mathurine Goard. In relation to the painting, this leads me to think about the colonialist legacy of my own family, my place in Canada, and the land as an image of safety, refuge, and welcome in Monkman's painting. What would this place be like had settler colonialists behaved differently? had they not come at all. I'm reminded of the land acknowledgement I discussed in episode one, that the standard of life we all enjoy in the Niagara region comes from the generosity of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe people. Welcoming the newcomers provides us with an alternative view of the first contact and the settling of Turtle Island. 
instead of depicting indigenous people as defeated by war, famine, forced migration, and disease, as in many European paintings, we see people who are vibrantly alive, people helping others who arrived on the shores and saving them from certain death. This act of welcome is presided over by Miss Chief, the central figure who graciously reaches towards the exhausted and desperate people in the water. She looks at us, the viewers, directly, and asks us to pay attention. We see the story of the founding of North America from Miss Chief's point of view, and her direct gaze asks us to think about our roles, our positions, our point of view, and our histories. Monkman's second painting hangs to the right of the entrance. The Resurgence of the People is based on Emmanuel Leutze's well-known history painting of Washington crossing the Delaware from 1851. The painting depicts an important moment in the American Revolutionary War. So Monkman takes this image that immortalizes a moment in the life of America's first president and indigenizes it. This is another kind of reversal, where an indigenous artist appropriates American mythology for his own means. And here, Miss Chief takes the position of Washington in the boat. Wearing her trademark heels and silk drapery, rather than an American flag, she holds up an eagle feather to guide the boat that is overflowing with refugees, reminiscent of the boats of migrants turning up on European shores in recent years. In the background, we see the soldiers and police that have caused the people in the boat to flee. Four indigenous paddlers steer the boat towards safety. This is a different history. As Mohawk artist Alan Mickelson notes, in Leutze's painting, a Native American man is pictured at the back of the boat, the stern, amongst the troops, reminding us of those early alliances between indigenous people and settlers. He also notes that treaties created between people such as the Lenape, also known as Delaware, and the Americans were not honored by the Americans and that the Americans later murdered many of their indigenous allies. Leitza doesn't show us that. As I outlined in the previous episode of Unboxing the Canon, I've redesigned my first year art history course to both introduce and critique the history of Western art. I'll be using Monkman's paintings as a touchstone, so we'll look at them again. We've really only looked at the surface here today. We need to be careful, though, of simply accepting the messages that Monkman communicates. As Reagan de Logans points out, Monkman's diptych depicts a shared history, one that emphasizes cooperation between settlers and indigenous people. They ask an important question. Who is the intended spectator? As an Indigenous person, DeLogans does not see their history or their trauma, as they write, as shared with white settlers. This is not the only critique that has been leveled against these two paintings and others by Monk, from Monkman's oeuvre. We'll come back to this in future episodes, such as when we consider intersectional feminism, the relentless representation of racialized trauma in our culture and what that does is also something we ought to think about. Some describe Monkman's gesture of reframing Western art as decolonizing, 
There are articles and reviews that use the word decolonize in reference to this work. As Eve Tuck and Kei Wen Yang write in their article, Decolonization is not a metaphor, decolonization is not the same as decentering settlers, or anti-racism, or critical discourse about a subject. While I'm attempting to take a critical approach in my teaching, that approach is not decolonizing. Instead, I investigate how the institution of Western art has participated in colonization, racism, and the suppression of difference in a myriad of ways. This means that we'll consider race, class, gender, ability, and other issues as we look to acknowledge and deconstruct the systems of power that created and maintained the field of art history, the museum and gallery systems, art criticism, art education, and the higher education myself and my students are participating in right now. Will this course be perfect? Definitely not. But I'll give it a try. We tend to think of history as a series of indisputable facts. And there are indeed some facts in this example. Kent Monkman painted Welcoming the Newcomers in 2019. It is on display in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York as I record this podcast. But these are the simple facts. When we look at Washington crossing the Delaware, for example, we can interpret it in a few different ways, and that interpretation changes over time. Art history is an interpretation of facts, events, and information. And the paintings themselves are interpretations of history. Leitza didn't even paint Washington crossing the Delaware in America. He painted it in his native Germany, and he took a lot of artistic license in telling the story. For instance, the crossing happened at night, not during the day as it's painted. And anyone who has been in a small boat knows that standing up in it is not a great idea unless you want to end up in the icy water. The flag is historically inaccurate as well. But the painting was meant to glorify Washington and America. In that sense, it gets the job done. In fact, it's become such an iconic painting that many artists have referred to it in their own work, often to critique America, past and present. Stay tuned for the next episode, where we will look at sculpture and monuments. Now there is a topic of some importance in the present moment. Just this week, Prime Minister Trudeau chastised those who toppled a statue of John A. Macdonald, Canada's first Prime Minister, in Montreal. But what should we do with these monuments to historical figures who caused suffering for others, who created atrocities like the residential school system in Canada? We'll take a look at some of the answers offered by art historians, and we'll think a bit more about this. See you next time. Unboxing the Canon is hosted and produced by Linda Steer for her course, Introduction to the History of Western Art, in the Department of Visual Arts at Brock University. Brock University is located on the traditional lands of Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe peoples. Our sound designer and editor is Devin Dempsey, who is also reading these credits. Our logo was created by Sherry Michaels. The music for this podcast have been adapted from Night in Venice and inspired by Kevin McLeod.
Both are licensed under Creative Commons Attribution International 4.0. We are grateful to Alison Innes from the Faculty of Humanities for sharing her podcast wisdom and offering support. This podcast is funded by the Humanities Research Institute at Brock University.